Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Welcome to Archaeoanimals, the podcast about zoo archaeology. This is episode number 65, our final episode, the zoo archaeology of Archaeoanimals. My name's Tristan, I'm the producer, and I have two wonderful hosts here to take you back through all the amazing things that we've done over the last five years. So without much further ado, I want to introduce Alex and Simona and introduce you to this episode of Argue Animals. Well, it's our final episode of Archaeo Animals, and I guess I would say we go off with a bang, but given that Tristan couldn't even remember the name of the show, it's like a clown horn, really. But hey, so yeah, I mean, I guess that's a fitting way to start off our final episode. And, you know, we're also celebrating our, our five-year run. I think that's a pretty solid run for a podcast that I think was supposed to be about zooarchaeology and then kind of turn into a video game podcast and whatever we wanted to talk about podcast. So I think we did pretty well, all things considered. So to kind of celebrate that, because we want this to be a, a joyful episode uh, and we want to celebrate ourselves, I guess, and what the show's been for the past five years, or I guess over five years a bit now, uh, we'll be turning our zooarchaeological lens inwards and look at the zooarchaeology of ourselves. What a wild ride it has been over the last five years and a bit. Yeah. So I guess to start, it would be good to probably talk, tackle our origins like we do with a lot of our episodes where we tackle the origins of, we don't actually, we don't really do that at all. <laughs> I made that up. Uh, although we do, I guess we've, we've tackled domestic origins and things like that. While we're at it, actually, because you've already mentioned the one thing, we do have a bingo card this time. Yes, time. true. <laughs> I mean, it's a bit of a cheat to do the bingo card on this episode because this episode is kind of just a bingo card of the greatest hits. But I figured, you know what? Great way to encourage people to go back to the back catalog and listen to old episodes and utilize that bingo card, right? Yeah, because I mean, we've been talking about it for probably not the whole five years, but the better part of five years. And uh, Alex has uh, thankfully like, now indulged us with an actual bingo card. <laughs> Instead of doing anything productive that would support myself, my academic work, anything like that. I made a bingo card, folks. <laughs> and it will support the comic relief of all of the, our listeners out there. Yes, that and that means more than, you know, my paid job. Um <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, we will, let's let, let's go to the origins. Let's go because you know, God forbid, we don't go off track on our last episode. But let's let's go back to our origins. So, kind of where the show began, which was about me, obviously. I did an episode of a different pro- podcast called the Women Archaeology Podcast. Chris, who is the the creator and god of the Archaeology Podcast Network, heard it and reached out and said, hey, you, you can string five words together and form a sentence, a rudimentary kind of elementary sentence. Why don't you do a podcast about zooarchaeology? No one's really done that. And I was like, well, I love to hear the, the sound of my own voice. I assume other people would too. But I didn't want to do it by myself because that would be sad. And I wanted to make people think I had friends. So, of course, I bullied Simona into doing this show with me. So, yeah, like, very much doesn't like hearing the sound of her own voice. <laughs> <laughs> so, there's been a lot of uh, growing and, and facing my own anxieties with this. 
but I felt like it was this. Simona was already someone who was like really smart and doing some psychomy stuff when you were still on the internet. <laughs> and it was very smart sounding. I don't know what I'm talking about 90% of the time. I figured at least someone should know what they're talking about on this show. And, you know, I'm very grateful that you said yes to join me on this journey. It was great. And also I feel that it made a, it made it a lot more comedic. <laughs> Hopefully. And, you know, the show itself has kind of really changed. Uh, I I would rather never hear our first episode again. Uh, but I do vaguely remember that I don't think we even had show notes. And that was something we had to have. <laughs> no, but in, a, in a way, I feel that it used to be more of a blurb as opposed to sort of more of a summary of what the episode was about. Yeah. But I think, yeah, because the show sort of evolved over time because it started off, because again, like first experience sort of podcasting for both myself and you. So it was definitely as far as I'm concerned, was like the first few episodes were very sort of robotic and trying to sort of get all that thorough research, which of course was still going on later on, but I like trying to make sure that everything was absolutely tip top and correct and being very factual about things. And sort of as we were slowly finding our feet, sort of like her... Huh, Bubbly personalities, uh, or your bubbly personality and my personality of some description, started shining through sort of more and more over time as we're finding our feet. So even though it's still, it is still research-based and educational, there's been a, more of a comedic element and a back and forth going in there because it's, I did personally didn't want this to be a dry podcast that just portrays the facts. There's nothing wrong with that. Like it's perfectly fine, but it's just not what my preference is. So in yeah. a way, I like I like that we found sort of this middle ground where it's still sort of and hopefully entertaining and educational for people. Edutainment, as the the folks say, and more importantly, I learned how to uh, eat dinner before recording. Although that took about I don't know two and a half years, so that was yeah. I, I want to point out how bad it was that. Every single time we would just do the pre-show and it's like, uh, it's like, I'm really hungry. I'm like, you know, this is happening. Like every single time we record, like we were organizing ahead of time. But yes, that was very good. And then you'd rush off to go and eat your food. But you've learned and that's very good. It's called growing as a human being, folks. So. That's, that's character development right there. Yes. Just speaking of which, actually, of growing up, the show has seen us for the rest of our 20s. That is absolutely horrible. Um, I want to stop recording yeah. now. Like, I just turned 32, like, a week ago. Please, stop. This is not... Simona, why did you have to... My doctor just told me my body bad. <laughs> why would she want to, like, really emphasize that? <laughs> <laughs> but yes, you as the listener, I hope you've seen how much we've grown, how unsensible we still are. Uh, well, to to be mature still, let's uh, talk about our favorite bits. <laughs> Move on to what everyone wants to hear us talk about, which is the bits. And um, to start off, we'll, we'll start with a real easy one. Is it ritual? Woo! Just going to real quietly, quietly, real quickly, in fact, summarize it. If for some reason you have never listened to an episode or you've managed to just ignore the fact that we talk about ritual a lot. Well, it's because it's a common joke among archaeologists that somehow, you know, became what, like 50 percent of what we talk about mainly because I did my Ph.D. on it and I need to, like, actually use that degree sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> That is a good point, actually, that you actually got your PhD, like, and you're now a doctor during this as well. Yeah, Dr. Badbody. Well done. Ooh, we did it. Folks, if I can get my PhD, literally anyone can. You've heard me on this podcast for five years. You now know that to be true. But yeah, ritual. We actually somehow did a whole episode on it, episode eight, but also literally talk about it in probably every single one of our episodes because everything is ritual. And that's because ritual is hard to identify because it can mean a lot of things. Luckily, though, some archaeologists have tried to kind of 
pinpoint some useful elements. Colin Renfrew has done so with the four aspects of ritual practice. You got your intention focus activity, which you can see in the archaeological record. You got those liminal zones, you know, those in-between zones correlated with archaeological material. You got your focus on transcendence and symbol and material record. And you got your archaeological evidence for participation or offerings. Yes, we are going to try and put some educational information in this podcast, which is just us patting ourselves on the back. If you've been listening to our other shows, well, our other show, our other episodes, so one 50% of it was indeed ritual, with uh, the other 50% being domestication. Uh, <laughs> Which uh, we do tend to talk about a lot, especially the whole like things like, oh, domestication of uh, species X and Y probably happened at several points in time in the different geographical areas. You might have heard that on a number of episodes. But yes, we do talk about domestication a lot because what well, it is one of the main relationship that we've had with animals over millennia. It's very important to our species and thus to archaeology. And you'll see that yeah, we've covered it in loads of episodes. I mean, we've discussed it in the sheep goat episode, episode four, in our cat episode seven, and episode three that was all about dogs. Pretty sure we also domestication got its own episode, which was like very own episode two featuring the, the robotic voice. So we managed to cover not all the domesticated species, but pretty close, I think. We've also talked about the three pathways of domestication, commensal, so your wild species that are attracted to pests and waste from human sites like dogs and cats, prey, humans who began to control the breeding of species they commonly hunt, like cattle and pigs, and then your direct domestication where captured species are utilized for travel or labor and have their breeding controlled like horses. And we've even done some episodes where we've talked a bit more about the more nuanced kind of in-between levels of domestication where you kind of have your managed herds like reindeer or tamed animals like many of those that are bred in captivity. So yeah, those are basically the two episodes we kind of done domestication and ritual. But we've also just had episodes where, you know, we talk about our favorite bones, like the humble astragalus, which I believe in episode 51, we declared to be our favorite bone. I believe it was fairly unanimous, yes. Yes. I mean... Unanimous of two. Yes. And that's all that matters. Unanimous astragalus. I like it. (laughs) It's going to be like... like, It's going to be like folk punk band. That's the spin-off show. What shape is the Astragalus again? It's a race car. It's a race car. <laughs> it's a race car, folks. The race car bone, as everyone famously refers to it as, of course. Also called the knuckle bone. And if for some reason you don't remember what it is, it's basically found in the, the heel of various mammals like pigs and sheep and deer. It also has some really interesting use in kind of different temporal and cultural contexts. So sometimes it's used as offerings, other times as game pieces, as dice, and potentially may have also been used as money as well. But more importantly, it's a race car. At least if it's from an undulate anyway. But it's no, it's a, it's a very interesting bone. It's very pleasing to look at. It's very dense, so it survives very well across millennia. And yeah, like even in the ethnographic record, there's still tons of uses for the astragalus now, like sort of from talismans to divination sets to games to teach children how to count. Yeah, and I think because it's utilized so much, you tend to find it like very polished, which also just makes it aesthetically pleasing. You think, oh, has this been worked? No, it just got handled like so many times. <laughs> yeah, so many times. It looks like a race car. Obviously, everyone's going to utilize it, right? Now, we, we can't really have a, a zoo archaeology episode of our own show without mentioning potentially one of the most important bits of the podcast, which is Simona's Romans. <laughs> is it now? And we reiterate Simona is not a, a Roman archaeologist. <laughs> and yet. <laughs> and yet. And yet. <laughs> I mean, what, well, Simone, what do you say about how do you even capture so, so many years of Simona's Romans? <laughs> Just like guess you the reluctant Roman archaeologist. I mean, yeah, I mean, to, to be fair, we do do archaeology in Britain and it's like really hard to not run into Roman things. Yeah, just like, 
literally can't go anywhere without tripping on, on Roman archaeology in, in, in Britain. So it's it's unavoidable. Yeah. And they also just like went everywhere and like moved things everywhere, including species. So it's really hard to not talk about them <laughs> when you're talking about zooarchaeology, particularly in like Europe. Yeah, so it's just, um, yeah, one of those things, you know, I left my home, like the ancestral lands of the Romans, and found me some more Romans in Britain. So it's just it's just one of those things. It, it might not be necessarily my favourite time period, but if you work in archaeology in Britain, you, you will, in time, sort of amass an amount of knowledge on the Roman period. Just one of those things. And more importantly, you do all the Latin pronunciations, which is saving so many people who listen to this podcast from hearing me do it. And that is truly a, a miracle to everyone. Which is not at all just me reading the stuff in an Italian accent. I mean, for me, it works, so it's fine. Anyway, if you wanted to hear just one episode on it, even though it, it probably shows up in almost every episode we've done, we do have a proper episode on Roman Britain in episode 37. I think a good way to compliment uh, my Romans will be Alex's fish. Bad. <laughs> bad fish yeah, bone. Bad, bad bone. Fish bad fish. Bones. Hate it. I did my master's project on fish bones and I'm dealing with the trauma ever since then. Did you know that fish usually have over 100 bones in their skull? Have you ever tried counting fish scales by hand? Did you know that if you handle fish bones, a lot of times you'll get bone splinters in your fingers? Fish bones, not even ones. Ew. Thank you. All right, let's end this segment off with a positive, to be fair. And let's talk about chonky toes and chonky boys. <laughs> Because some of the boys we work with are not only chonky, their bones are chonky. And I literally cannot remember where this started. I like went back and looked at all of our show notes from previous episodes. I have no idea where this came from. It would be great if a listener can point out where this came from. I, I, I did not want to listen to 50 hours of the show <laughs> to figure it out. But yeah. Chunky toes. I know the well, I toes guess- are chunky because the metapolios are chunky. They're really chunky bones. I don't remember, though, what <laughs> specific animal we were talking about, though. I think it might have been the camelid one. Maybe. That sounds one. right. But nevertheless, since we um, do not know how the chunky toes mythos originated, we'll just use the most likely explanation. It was ritual. See, this is why this is why Simona was is one of the best podcast co-hosts. Simona, Queen of Segways, baby. And speaking of that, let's segue into our first break, and we will be back after this. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. And we are back with Archeo Animals, episode 65, the last episode of Archeo Animals, and the episode where we're looking at the zooarchaeology of Archeo Animals. And now it's time to talk about where we've kind of failed. And we, we have failed in being a zooarchaeology podcast most of the time, because we have slowly but surely ended up being a video game podcast. 
but zoo archaeology and video games are still relevant. True. Yes, true. Well, we're really stretching it, I think, in some cases. <laughs> yes, we've like to, to point the listeners to our recent Predator episode. Yeah, okay. Well, but I feel like we it would be amiss if we didn't cover a highlight uh, reel of some of our, our favorite episodes of video game talk. And I think before we this one that we're going to talk about, I think we did kind of like a, a broad, you know, this is archaeology of video games episode, but I wanted to like start off with our first like real video game episode, which was episode 26. And it was all about The Witcher. Yes, that was a lot of fun. I mean, like the format for a lot of these uh, video game episodes, sort of The Witcher included, was uh, Alex and myself discussing sort of various creatures in these video game franchises, describing sort of their appearance and what their skeletal uh, morphology would have looked like. So for the case of The Witcher, um, we discussed the griffin, which uh, as you for those who have played it, it's one of the very first uh, creatures you fight in The Witcher 3. So it's sort of, sort of hybrid creature with a feline and bird bits and two subspecies, an arch griffin and a royal griffin. And then sort of that snowballed into the bioarchaeologist side of uh, Geralt of Rivia, who was able to identify elements, just the age and species of monsters' remains, as well as paleopathology, which you do see in the Griffin quest, but also believe there's a quest in White Orchard with a, a wraith. Yeah, there is. I mean, I think the Griffin one we talked about because that was like the first big quest you do in the game. And I think when we recorded, I had like kind of started playing the third game. So I wasn't as informed as you were about a lot of the the animal the animals, the monsters that you fight in that game. Oh, like I went full out for that episode, I think, because I even I even, <laughs> <You did. laughs> I think I even bought this like there was like a witcher sort of companion book that had a beast cherry and that I bought the book. <laughs> <laughs> I mean now now I get it. I've played I've played through Witcher 3 twice now, including the DLC, and I probably have like, you know, 300 hours in that game alone. So I get it. I definitely get it now. But I mean, it, but it, it is really interesting because of the way the Witcher kind of mechanics work in the video game where it's very investigative. And because he's a monster hunter, the two kind of cross over in this kind of way that makes the Geralt's kind of a bioarchaeologist because he does this whole thing where, you know, he looks at the remains. He's like, oh, well, I can't I can't do the voice. Uh I'm like trying to like like brace myself to try and do the voice. <laughs> He's American in the video game, so it's fine. I could do it. I'm like, I'm like making myself, I'm making myself kind of hysterical trying to do this. Come on, Alex. I know you can do it. Just summon up. Hold on. I just need I need to do like something to like get me in the mood. Like wind's howling. Okay, I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> But he's just like, you know, he looks at the griffin, he's like, must be a female or whatever. Oh, my voice. Oh, my throat hurts so bad. Doug, how do you do that voice all the time? Ugh. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, like Alex and myself have similar video game preferences. So, you know, I think we both enjoy like nice um, world building and thus a very sound creature design, which is something all of the games we're about to mention have in common. Yes. And I think The Witcher was a great way to kind of do it, because like I said, because you play as a monster hunter, there's a lot of that lore about, you know, the physiology and the anatomy of the creatures built in inherently into the stories and the, the video game that it was very easy to talk about. Like you have like a whole bestiary in the menu of the video game which is extremely useful but we also me and simona share a love of bioware games so obviously of course we ended up although interestingly we didn't do dragon age first we did mass effect which i feel like is a a, a weird one to do first i think it's probably because we mentioned dragon age creatures in our main sort of video game episode so in the generic yeah. one but mass effect didn't make the cut so we started with a whole episode of Mass Effect, which also I think by that time I'd only played Andromeda. So I think I was very confused for oh, a lot yeah. of it. Uh, and I've since replayed because uh, um, in the meantime, the remaster came mm -hmm. out. So I got that. 
I played through all three of them and all the DLCs. I think I've done three playthroughs. Mm. Oh, wow. Because uh, there you go. That's uh, my, my hyper focus for you. Uh, I still have not played Andromeda. <laughs> I will still insist it's fine as a different game. <laughs> I, I gave up on it. I just, I was just, I hated the planet hopping because it was just, just felt so menial. But no, the originals are great. Apart from, you know, the one thing that we all know about. That, yeah. Is you this know, about the, me romancing Caden again? Oh. <laughs> We've been through this. I already admitted my shame. Yeah, okay, that is pretty shameful. It's yeah. a really nice romance, okay? If you, like, stick it out for the whole thing, <laughs> it's, like, a nice kind of, like, arc where you have the breakup in the second game and then you get back together in the third game. Leave me alone. <laughs> it doesn't sound like a healthy relationship. I'm just I, okay, listen. If you've seen the people I've dated, you would be impressed <laughs> that I made it there's this far of, with Caden. There's, there's been a lot of Cadence, right? Okay, got it, got it. But, no, I, I was referring to the ending of Mass Effect oh, of course, 3 yeah. of course um, what ending no, no that, that, that's not a thing of course Which, the ending that you not mean the Citadel DLC the true ending of that game <laughs> okay fair enough I agree I agree Citadel DLC I think good. I played the Citadel DLC like so many times because I tried to get all the various options in terms of like yeah. the, oh, of course yeah the, like the types of parties that you could have so I'll have you know like wild party in both segments or like chill party both segments or <laughs> I've done did you do a hundred pull-ups oh, I can't remember now it takes remember, like, so long <laughs> I can't even I think remember I remember that. like my favorite was uh, when Garrus and Zahid Garrus and Zahid like put all the booby traps around the apartment <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's fun. This is nothing about Zerakia. We're just talking about how much we like the game. <laughs> but yeah, there is clearly, I mean, you mentioned Garrus. There's so many really interesting alien designs in the franchise, and we do talk about a bunch of them. But I really want to just bring back, because I didn't remember this until I looked back at the episode. Do you remember the shifty looking cow? No. So this is a cow you can find in the first game, I believe, uh, on a planet, uh, Antaram. So there's a space cow, and it kind of looks like a thylacine almost it's got but it's got like four legs and two like little arms in the front and it's a herbivore if you interact with it as commander shepherd it will slowly follow you around the planet and slowly steal all your money i suppose they've never interacted with it but we talked about it in that yes, episode yes, but, but i guess yeah and that's just you know really important we talk about on a archaeological level but while we're reminiscing about mass effect just because we will never have a chance to bring this up ever again the alcohol shakespeare one of the best things just, i've ever seen in my life <laughs> yeah it, it's just a thing of beauty if if you've not played mass effect just 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 look up the video of the alcohol shakespeare production it's just it, it's gold it's just it's a lot of fun the alien designs are so great and really interesting and you know it, it's a great it's a great game regardless of it's kind of not really sticking the landing, but it's fine because we have another uh, Bioware franchise we can talk about, and that's Dragon Age. Boop, boop. And I mean, yeah, there's a, there, there is a lot you could talk about Dragon Age, although I feel like maybe not as much in some. But we we did talk about the dragons. <laughs> in a way, there is so much to talk about that it will just be reductive to yeah. summarize it. There is just too much but again i'm very biased because dragon age is probably my favorite game of all time i own literally well every single game and dlc book magazine every kind of media that has come out on dragon age i have it so, so would you say you're more of a thaden expert than a roman one i mean quite likely i think i think i probably know the the theta sort of calendar Better, <laughs> <laughs> like because the world, the world building is so like interesting, and they've got yeah. different different names for the days of the month and celebrations. Of course, you know they're very, you no, know, not so loosely based on some of our celebration and some of our sort of old like, pagan holidays. But nevertheless, great world building, great creature design, great sort of companion mechanics and things. As in Mass Effect, to be fair, that's also spectacular. So. Yes, 10 out of 10, would recommend. It's, and it's got nugs, which I believe we talked about, because in 
Dragon Age Inquisition, you can you can find a giant nug, which are basically they kind of look like bunnies without any fur, but they have horse teeth. They do, yeah. So you can what? It's very strange. Yeah, and there's a big one that you can ride in the battle in Inquisition, even though they're usually quite tiny. So it's very important that we had to talk about. <laughs> I normally, I, I usually always go for the big stag. Mm, I go for the bog one. Oh, the bog unicorn's quite cool as well. It's quite, quite cool. But it just um, be, be, because I'm always like a, a female elven mage. Yeah, like- no, actually I do go for the, the stag as well because I am also a female Dalish. Oh, we need to stop before we just, this becomes the Dragon Age podcast. <laughs> If you would like to see us in the future doing a Dragon Age only podcast. <laughs> but if you just want to listen to the episode, that's episode 31. And I'm not sure where I said the episodes for the other ones, but Witcher, episode 26, Mass Effect, episode 29. And we'll go into our next video game episode, which is Assassin's Creed, episode 33. And it has been long enough that I've actually played another Assassin's Creed game. Yeah. Woo. Also, I just I noticed as well that it was literally every other episode. Dragon Age was 31, Assassin's Creed I know. 33. <laughs> it's really bad. We really had a string of video game episodes. We just could not be stopped. <laughs> uh, but yeah, good news. I played Valhalla now. Great game. Really enjoyed it. I've still not finished it. Oh, I've, I've done everything. I've got like another like 200 hours into that game. I've, I've done everything but the very last quest. So like I've stopped playing ever since you've done the last bit of main storyline in the present. Okay. I got so miffed. I mean, fair. Yeah. No, I, I similarly felt like that. So I get, I get that vibe. <laughs> so like, no, you don't get to play any of this. I'm not finishing this. <laughs> You made a character. <laughs> but yeah, the Assassin's Creed games were interesting because it's, it's interesting how well they've been at really making the, the fauna accurate to the time period. I mean, we talked about like the Aurochs and stuff like that you can see in the game. And for me, in Assassin's Creed Rogue, which I've never played, but I do know the Great Auk makes an appearance. And I love the Great Auk as someone who wrote about them a lot in my PhD. Little kind of puffin looking animals that lived up north and that makes me very happy so i appreciate that commitment to detail in the assassin's creed games i mean of course aside from the big like boss legendary creatures which uh like should stress neither alex or myself believe that those are accurate yeah yeah that's our our main problem is that they're not accurate <laughs> no because you're saying oh like they did a very like a lot of research in the portrayal of wildlife things like yeah, okay maybe like, not the gigantic polar bear in norway like maybe not that I don't know. You don't know. You weren't there. You weren't in the Animus. The last video game episode I want to talk about, which is episode 34, is the Pokemon one. I mainly just want to bring it up because it's one of my favorite moments of the podcast, which is when Simona, who is not familiar with Pokemon, was introduced to the concept of Pokemon eggs. And more specifically, the fact that there are ghost Pokemon. Hence, there are ghost Pokemon that are hatched from eggs. An oviparous ghost! <laughs> why, why are you making me relieve, relieve this trauma? Because it's amazing and it's extremely okay. funny. That That's like the main thing you got out of that Pokemon episode. <laughs> There's like over, you know, like 600 or whatever Pokemon. <laughs> the thing you got out of it was oviparous ghosts. <laughs> no. <laughs> Yeah, it's a bit, it's a lot to 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 take in. So to to avoid Simona having a, a nervous breakdown, we'll 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 take we'll do a quick toast to some of our favorite recurring characters on the show that I feel like we need to mention now that we're moving away from the video game episodes. And we'll talk about I guess Simona, do you want to introduce us our first uh, character that we'll be giving a co- toast to? Yes, yeah, so like, we'll we'll say our final farewell to our good old friend, General Sitophilus Granarius, first mentioned in episode 30. The general is a, is a humble species of a grain weevil, which is actually a pretty nasty grain pest uh, that has been brought into Britain thanks to the Romans. However, in our imaginary, the general Sitophilus Granarius, which is nothing but a grain weevil that has a centurion helmet on... <laughs> I got a battlefield promotion to general because apparently me sort of pronouncing the Latin, so the the, the scientific name 
with an Italian accent makes her sound like a Roman general. And I just can't be serious for a moment on this podcast. <laughs> so that snowballed into a whole like character. I believe we have received fan art about the general. Yes, we have. And I'm so glad that the general has resonated with you all as it's resonated with us. And I mean, it is an incredibly important friend to archaeologists, given its obsession with stores of grain, which helped it hitch a ride with the Romans to Britain and helps us with uh, interpreting environmental thingies. No, so we should mention, like, you know, the, 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 the general, you know, is since he's got an acting role as well, Yes. Potentially neither a series of comics or a feature film in which General Sithophilus Granarius is actually a man trapped in the body of a grain weevil that has to like jump, go travel through time with the help of Pliny the Elder so he could recover his human form. Yes. It's very Kafka-esque. That was a very good reference. And I hope that somebody listening understands that. But anyway, shall we metamorphosize into the next one? Yeah, we can hold off our our last two toasts for the seg- se- or the next segment. We'll be back. We'll leave you all waiting to find out who else we're gonna mention. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And we're back for the third and final segment of the final episode of Archeo Animals, episode 65. Our previous segment was uh, interrupted mid applause uh, of uh, <laughs> some of the recurring characters that have uh, hopefully entertained you over the past five years. So we already said thank you to General Sitophilus Granarius, but I think we've thanked him enough, so I think we should talk about Knickers instead. Yes, Knickers the Steer, who I didn't realize was such an early reference back in episode six. And, and even then, like when we recorded episode six, Nick's the Steer was already old news. <laughs> I know. So yeah, Nickers the Steer, a 2,800 pound, six foot, four inches tall Holstein Frisian dairy steer in Australia who became a meme. And weirdly enough, was not large enough to beat the world record holder, a Bellino the cow from Italy, who is six foot six. Another win for Simona. Because, surprise, I am that cow from Italy. <laughs> That's not what I was going to say, but okay. <laughs> Go off, I guess. You all learned the secret, the terrible secrets of our animals. That's why she's so good at this. <laughs> I'm actually Bellino the cow masquerading as a person. There's been a bovine conspiracy this whole time. <laughs> you were really tall when I met you in person. <laughs> I would have thought the mooing and the like <laughs> the Frisian kind of like outfit would have given it away, eh, Simona? Or eh, Alex? Yeah, the, the listeners get really confused because actually like you, you think uh, like it's there's a recording of me talking, but all the listeners can hear is just me like mooing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Alex and I are just having a shared kind of experience of like it being translated, you know. You got like the babble fish in our ear. Exactly. <laughs> one. But let, let's uh, let's let, move uh, on. Let's, oh it's on the board. It's on the bingo board. It's on the bingo board. Well, I was going to say if you have your bingo cards handy, Tristan makes a bad joke. It's on there. You have to have at least one, you know, or six. But a final thank you. Well, unlike the other two, someone who it did actually exist. Well, no, no, because they exist. What the hell about? <laughs> Our last thank you is to the great Pliny the Elder. We could not have done it without him. No, I, I wonder if, if he knew back then when he wrote his natural history that thousands of years later he was going to inspire. <laughs> whatever this is this nonsense really <laughs> um, 
we don't even have like one episode really to pinpoint. He's often referred to because like Simona said, he wrote one of the earliest encyclopedias, the natural history, which was hugely influential even up until the medieval period. Uh, He was originally a Roman lawyer, then a military commander, and eventually died during the eruption of Vesuvius in 79 CE. Uh, He did a lot of writing and helps how we understand Roman knowledge at the time, as imperfect as it was. So thank you, Pliny the Elder. Now, we uh, (laughs) kind of cut through this final segment with some, some extra stuff from the last one. But, you know... We should point out that the third segment is normally a a dedicated segment to the case studies. And obviously, we can't end our podcast without discussing everyone's favorite part of the show, a claim that we have never in five years of podcasting actually provided evidence for, but we have said constantly like we were going to manifest it. Although Tristan said before we started recording that it is his favorite part. Who cares? (laughs) (laughs) Being very quiet about all this. He's crying. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, case studies. It's something we brought into the show structure just to kind of give us a chance to talk about real research instead of whatever we've been talking about and like cite some actual work that's going on. Uh, And like I said, we've just decided it's everyone's favorite. So tough if you don't like it, whatever, who cares? I don't. It's our last episode. We do what we want. So yeah, here's some of our favorites. And I believe, Simona, you you specifically wanted to talk about this. Uh, from episode 61, Bog Butter. Oh, like the episode that descended very quickly. <laughs> or the case study that descended very quickly. Well, bogs, as an environment, occur mainly in Ireland. Oh, not bogs. <laughs> yes, there is only bogs in Ireland. <laughs> Ireland is the only place with bogs. <laughs> Obviously, this episode just like I still crack up even thinking about it <laughs> because it's not funny. It's not funny, but it is. Oh, sorry. Are you, st- are you still thinking about the squirrel worship of butt butter? No, it was the it's the person. It's the reason why why the bog butter even exists. Is it just somebody accidentally just dropping it? <laughs> And I remember the episode I described like a bar of soap, but like is it is you know, somebody squeezing the butter and it's plopping out and into the box. And then, then just going, oh, for God's sake, not another one. Like, it, just, it just kills me every time. I just, I think it will be the best, like the funniest episode we have, definitely. Oh, God. And you see it's descended again. <laughs> just... And the reason it's like in the same kind of bogs and the same positions, they only get so far before they squeeze down. <laughs> there must be a better way of carrying these books. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay, I'm I'm done. But yes, just so why don't you tell people about bog butter before? Because I won't be able to. Okay, evidence of bog butter has been mainly recovered in Ireland. As the name suggests, <laughs> it's not only found in bogs. It's uh, found in bogs. It's made largely of cow's milk. And um, the butter would be... <laughs> why? Would be placed in the bog to keep it cool, keep a secret, keep it safe. Or perhaps offered to the gods. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Let me eat it. Let me eat it, folks. <laughs> yeah, I'm let, volunteering let Alex... to eat the bog butter. <laughs> yeah, let Alex eat the, the thousand year old. Who cares? <laughs> are we are we like okay? Have we composed ourselves to move forward? I'm <laughs> so... going to say goodbye to the bog butter. Yeah, well, I'm going to, like, make everyone compose themselves by talking about the sad, depressing story of the Great Auk from episode 20. We kind of talked about it in this episode, but again, they're from my PhD, so I have to keep mentioning them. And I'm going to make everyone sad by talking about it, because it's an extinct species, and the way the last one died is that a bunch of sailors found one and then tied it up, 
and then there was a bad storm. So they thought that the Great Auk was a witch. So the sailors beat it to death. R.I.P. Great Auk. Thank you. Way to bring the mood down on Fog Butter. <laughs> well, yeah, because the alternative is we're going to be like in hysterics for the next 20 minutes. <laughs> Someone needs to bring us down back to Earth, and I'm going to do that with sailors beating to death a bird. <laughs> well, let's, let's sail away from this history of death and let's land on the shores of Sicily. <sighs> Picture S- Sicily, Pleistocene, <laughs> no people. Beautiful. (laughs) Um, No, Uh, this is something that we mentioned in episode 32, and it's actually an island, it's called the island effect, and it's something that you see in a lot of islands, not just Sicily, during the Pleistocene period, where a lot of the megafauna is actually quite small, and a lot of the smaller fauna, it's abnormally large. So in the Pleistocene period in Sicily, you'd get elephants, basically the size of a large dog, and dormice, so Lathia species, the size of cats. You do get that in other islands around the Mediterranean Sea. So like in, in Formentera, dormice are still like up to 50% larger than the ones found on the mainland. It's a strange sort of dynamic that you get on islands because, of course, there's sort of less resources. So the megafauna tends to be a little bit smaller, but at the same time, due to the absence of predators, the smaller fauna are a lot bigger. Big, big mice. <laughs> big, big mice. Big old mice. Well, uh, if we're still in the island mood, we'll we'll stick with that fishiness and talk about garum. Although I, I'm sure it sounds nicer when Simona says it. Garum. Thank you. I can't roll my R's. This was always a problem when I took Latin. <laughs> Real struggle. <laughs> yeah, I think like well after the buck butter. Yeah, we're still like meandering in. <laughs> <laughs> things of a yeah yeah of food, a taste food things because <laughs> garum is a is a specifically a roman fish sauce so again if you've got the bingo cards romans there you go probably got five of those already so far but it's a fish sauce made up from macerating small fish over a span of months a few times over and actually in a fish episode we had a case study um of a site you know of site um, basically, 23 amphorae of garum were found in a garum shop in Pompeii. I don't want to know the smell if they opened or broke any of those. It turns out they've been made from species such as anchovies, mackerel, pickerels, herrings, and tuna. And this was actually quite interesting from a scientific point of view because the age at death and seasonality helped confirm Pompeii's state of eruption. You can find out more, I believe, in episode 12. Now, this next one may send Simona back into hysterics. Um, (laughs) Camels in Disguise, episode 58. So in the 9th century BCE, King Stabrotes of India uh, had elephants that were not defeated by Assyria's Queen Saramis and her pack of camels, which were, of course, dressed as elephants by using dyed or dark ox hides to make the costume. Although the real elephants were confused by the, the camel smell, of course, from the fake elephants, they still trampled them to death. <laughs> was that the noise of a camel or is that the noise of an elephant? Or is it a camel dressed as an elephant? <laughs> Being trampled. Bingo. Uh, what... <laughs> But I mean, it is still like a, a step up from uh, King Darius of Persia's use of camels on fire. Uh, I mean, the camels were carrying bundles of fire, uh, unlike the Megarians of Greece, who literally lit their pigs on fire to fight elephants. People because... really did the most to fight elephants. <laughs> yeah, but their enemies' bacon was cooked by that point. <sighs> <laughs> Anyway, I just next wanted case to study. be. I just wanted to be a completely blacked out square by the end of the show. <laughs> no, people are just going to set their bingo cards on fire. <laughs> so our next one, real, real easy, real quick. Let's just mention Bufo Bufo. <laughs> it's a common toad from episode fifty three. The name is Bufo Bufo. I don't know what else you need to know. Bufo 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 Bufo. 
Yes. Next case study. We did a whole mini series. We did a couple mini series, but we did one of our mini series was our Where in the World mini series, where we tackled every single continent and did the zooarchaeology of them. And yes, that even includes Antarctica, which we actually did a whole episode on, episode 50. And in 1933, as part of a publicity stunt, three Guernsey cows with great names like Klondike Gay Nira, Deerfoot Guernsey Maid, and Foremost Southern Girl. <laughs> Our favorite. Yeah, I mean, that one's amazing. And as well as a bull calf born on the way named Iceberg, we're all sent to work at a dairy in Antarctica for a year. And big dairy strikes again. Foremost Southern Girl. I'm going to name my next cat that. <laughs> it's just like why do they have to have three names <laughs> why shouldn't it have three names yeah yeah you, you know what you got me there but then the baby is just named iceberg i think they just ran out of ideas by that point they've been traveling for a few months on a boat and it's just like oh the iceberg <laughs> So the, the final case study I'd like to bring up, because I, I remembered it, um, uh, I remember Simona being slightly tickled about this. It's waterfowl collections from episode 45. Should I back it? Can Tristan try that in a posh accent? I'm not. What is it again? Uh, waterfowl what? collection. Oh, yes. I'm just perusing my waterfowl collection in my stately home here in the drawing room where, ironically, I do not draw. Is that okay? Yeah, because, you know, I think if I did it, I would get deported immediately. (laughs) Is that not you just being a camel disguise if you did it? You call me a camel. I'm in disguise. You call me an elephant. In disguise. <laughs> anyway, so I, yeah, waterfowl. So actually, actually, all along, like, I was a cow in disguise and Alex was a camel in disguise. You'll never know what animal I was. <laughs> oh, the donkey. Eat on, that's not right. <laughs> yes, the waterfowl collection. So apparently the, the Canadian geese, Branta Canadensis, were worthy of being gifted to royalty in the 17th century. Who'd have thunk? They're like everywhere now. But yes, you know, they were worthy gifts to, to royals and nobles who had waterfowl collection. Yes. Apparently it was all the rage in the 17th century. As you do. <laughs> Yep, that, that included uh, King James II of England, King Louis XI of France, and now Canadian geese are everywhere in the UK and France. So, yay. Thanks a lot, guys. <sighs> it may be the, the, uh, our inside waterfowl collection or outside waterfowl collection. Thanks. Ugh. Anyway, on that on that note, yeah, so here we are at the end, end of our last show. So any final thoughts, Simona? Not about bog butter. Just want to put oh, that. In no, oh. <laughs> not about bog butter because we cannot. We cannot keep doing this. No jokes aside. No, it's been fun. I think. I think we've done something good here because I, I do think we've been striking for the most part a good balance between educational and entertaining. Okay, we might have gone a little bit heavy on the entertaining, mostly of ourselves. Yeah, <laughs> or more on one more than one occasion, but. I think, no, I think, I think we've done a good thing. It's been fun. And I said, like, it's been a a good sort of middle ground for something that, yes, it is sort of an inherently academic subject, but I do think that we've tried our best to make in a way that is entertaining and accessible. So it's not just something about zooarchaeology for zooarchaeologists or for archaeologists, which again, that is also fine. But as far as I'm concerned, that's not what I wanted to do. I wanted to be able to, create a show on content that could interest anyone regardless of sort of like whichever walk of life you've come from. If you like animals and like old things, you might like Arcu animals. I mean, if you like dead animals, it's a bit morbid, I guess. <laughs> that, 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 that could, uh, yes, take a disturbing turn. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's all I wanted to do this show originally because I just felt like 
people, even in the field, didn't really know what zooarchaeology was or didn't really give it the kind of respect that it deserves. There's a lot of, you know, feelings of people being like, oh, animal bones, that's just go, that's from the, the, you know, soil heap, just tossed it aside. But that's like really important. And we learned so much from it. So I'm glad that we had this platform to kind of talk about it. And I think we've basically covered a lot in the five years, you know, I don't feel like, you know, we missed out on so much. I think we've covered a lot of, you know, ritual domestication, but just in general, I think we, we, we managed to touch upon a lot of different elements of zooarchaeology pun intended, like skeletal, I don't know, whatever. It doesn't. Yeah, no, I think we, we, we showcase a good range of topics within zooarchaeology. It definitely is a discipline that is a, not as glamorous as some of the other subdisciplines within archaeology. So, of course, what especially, like, you know, like you think of archaeology, a lot of people will be interested sort of in the ceramics or the shiny things and all your, like, the metal objects and, but you know, and here's us with, uh, oh, look at this tibia. We're cool. That's all we want to do is prove that we're cool. But, yeah, so even though it's the end of this podcast, don't forget, the archive will still exist. You can listen to the backlog. You can listen to old episodes and use your bingo card to see how, how well you do. I'm sure you'll it'll, you'll constantly get a black square because we just we just say the same three things over and over again for 65 episodes. Let's be real. And yeah, but you know, also there's the rest of the podcast uh, network with great shows and maybe future great shows. So stay tuned. Um, and I guess it's time to do some final thank yous. So as much as I hate to say it, thank you to Tristan, who has kept this podcast to be listenable to most human beings. Maybe not through his jokes, but through his production skills production skills that's what i meant not productive skills i know you (laughs) yeah that's very true production production yeah that's the key the key to it i think is sitting here and waiting for the perfect moment to interject with your own opinions rather than properly listening to the conversation that's going on and i think i've really worked on that skill and very very well okay thank you to chris as well who helped us start this to begin with and the rest of the apn who have also always been really good supporters of the show thank you to zoo archaeologists and archaeologists alike uh for which we needed all your actual research to kind of get the show to have things to talk about because it wasn't going to be us really me and simona too busy playing video games to be honest I got some other thank yous that are really serious that I need to do right now. Thank you to the remaining staff members of Bioware Studios, wherever oh. whoever you are. Thank you to George Lucas, partially. The entirety of Latin, all animal bones except fish bones, Pliny the Elder, medieval natural historians and artists. And of course, thank you to all of our listeners as well. Simona, did I miss out any other thank yous? Didn't thank Sandy. Oh gosh, I'm sorry. Thank you to Sandy. Thank you to Bastet. Thank you to Cerny. Thank you to Violet. Thank you to Violet. And Violet. Yes. I'm Bruno. Thank you, thank you to Bruno. Uh, any other pets I want to... Thank you to all the Korean cats that I follow Instagram. Thank you to Bone Bone, the Persian house cat that I follow on Instagram. Anyone else? <laughs> any other animals we want to start with? Thank you to Nickers, the, the steer. Yes, Nickers, obviously. And, uh, and I want to pull up a list of famous... And thank you, and thank you to all the people who dropped... Big loaves of butter thank, in bog. Thank you to bog butter. Thank you to the one guy in prehistoric Ireland who just really was trying so hard, bless him, to carry that butter and just could not every single time. God bless you to that man. <laughs> thank you to that man specifically. What a way to end this podcast. Well, can I can I just interject yes. one last time? Yes. I would like to say thank you to you, Alex, and to you, Simona, for making this such a fantastic show to listen to. You know, because obviously I get to sit in the seat and listen to you guys talk, but I think the success of this show has been because you guys put so much hard work and effort in and you just, you work very well as a team and I I really, 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 I'm going to miss it. And I just want to say thank you for, you know, tolerating me and uh, thank you obviously i'm technically also co-founder of the apn so also from the apn thank you so much for all that you've done over the last over five years and um yeah i i think this is definitely a testament to just 
the amazing work that you've done. So thank you. Oh, thank you. You know, it would have been really cool if I had like actual bog butter to eat in this last episode. Oh and then I just dropped dead like right when we hit off. Wouldn't that be really cool? I don't want to make this episode in memoriam, please, Alex. If anyone has access to bog butter, I will record a bonus episode as a postscript and I will eat the bog butter live on the podcast. Just saying, just saying. This is my last, my last request as a podcaster. Oh God! To like bog butter eating ASMR. Yes, yes. Oh my gosh! Do we have time to do one last last episode? <laughs> all right, folks. I think before I, I I go nuts, we will end it here again. Thank you all so much. Although actually, we've said it for a few times over the last five years as a joke, and now we get to say it for real. So, so this was our, the the last episode of Our Two Animals. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Archeo Animals. Please subscribe and rate the podcast wherever you get your podcast from. You can find us on Twitter at Archeo Animals. Also, the views expressed on the podcast are those of ourselves, the hosts and guests, and do not necessarily represent those of our institution, employers, and the Archaeology Podcast Network. Thanks for listening. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV traveling the United States, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, DigTech LLC, Cultural Media, and the Archaeology Podcast Network, and was edited by Rachel Roden. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.